The thing about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive is that by now you've heard a lot of ads about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. We probably don't even need the words, the Name Your Price tool, to tell you that our humpback whale pup gives you options based on your budget. Or that our novelty hand buzzer helps you save on car insurance. And that's the thing about the tiny felt bag filled with marbles. At this point, you've heard a lot of ads about the elusive northern bobcat. The Name Your Price tool. <clears throat> the neighbor who baked you banana bread. Only from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, I'm Dhamini, and you're listening to Gender Question. Here, we will look at an issue that's in the news using the lens of gender. The idea is to take a blind spot and throw some light on it. Hi, and welcome to the Gender Question. Today we're going to talk a bit about the law called POCSO, or Protection of Children from Sexual Offences, how it came about, and what else do we need besides a law to address the issue of abuse of children, particularly in light of what has happened in Chitraput recently. I'm referring to the arrest of a 40-year-old junior engineer of the Uttar Pradesh Irrigation Department by the Central Bureau of Investigation Officials on November 17. A team of CBI investigators had the junior engineer under their radar for at least a month. And according to news reports, including what our reporters in Hindustan Times found, the man lived in a two-room flat in Chitrakoot with his wife. Here, he lured young children between the ages of 5 and 16 with mobile phones and other gadgets on which they could play video games. And after gaining their trust and bringing them into his home, he would abuse the children. He has also been accused of selling photographs and videos of sexual abuse on the dark web. The investigators uncovered digital evidence of child sexual abuse material and one official told HD on the condition of anonymity that 66 videos and 610 photographs of children had already been recovered from him. The youth targeted were children of street vendors, daily wagers, pavement dwellers and domestic heads. So children definitely of a lower economic strata than him and quite probably also of an underprivileged caste. So in that sense, triply vulnerable. This had reportedly been going on for 10 years. The junior engineer has been charged with Section 377 of the Indian Penal Code, which deals with non-consensual, non-penile vaginal intercourse apart from charges under the Information Technology Act and POCSO. Today, we'll be in conversation with Inakshi Ganguly, who co-founded HUC, Centre for Child Rights, where she was involved in creating tools for monitoring state accountability, child trafficking, juvenile justice, and child sexual abuse, among other things. She has also been engaged with HUC's activities for providing legal support and counselling to children who are victims of abuse and exploitation, or those who have come in conflict with the law. If you could just take us a little bit through, if we can take a step back and uh, go through the journey of the law that is meant to protect children. Thank you very much, uh, Damini, for having me on your show and to, to discuss this very important and always painful matter. Um, the subject remains something that always warrants more discussion and more thought and yet 
groups, we often say the more it changes, the more it remains the same when it, we talk about abuse and sexual abuse of children. Mm. So the, 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 the POXO Act, or the, the Protection of Children Against uh, Child uh, Sexual Offences Act, as it is called, um, was finally enacted in 2012. But the story behind POXO goes back um, several years. And it goes, and there are actually two streams uh, from which the law emanated. The thought of the law, the need for the law emanated. One was that um, he, he, the, the Ministry of Women and Child in around 2005-06 um, thought of developing a law on offences against children, you know, a comprehensive law on offences against children. And it in fact came together, came out with a thought and a draft around it. And this, At which point, sexual, and this was not only sexual offenses, this was, this was not just sexual offenses, but a, okay. a comprehensive law around offenses against children. At which point uh, they called for an expert group meeting, and I still recall that meeting, and at which several of us um, suggested to the to the uh, ministry and the joint secretary calling the meeting that there was a need for um, a white paper, so to say, you know, a comprehensive yeah. understanding on what constitutes offenses against children in the country. Because offenses also change over time, the nature of offenses, the kind, for example, you know, we have offenses on through the internet, which we wouldn't have even thought about at least, when, at least when I was growing up, the Joint Secretary at that time, Dr. Lovelyn Tucker, um, was extremely open to the thought. And what she did was she commissioned a study hmm. uh, on child abuse, which became quite a landmark study, which is, uh, you know, and which came out, which was published in 2007. It was perhaps, I mean, for all its failings and all its shortcomings, it still remains the only comprehensive uh, child abuse study across the country based on primary evidence. So that formed the basis of the drafting of a law, which then slowly it came to be recognized that if you have a, a comprehensive law on child abuse, uh, it's becoming very unwieldy. Right. So, so they, um, so that's when the drafting of uh, a child sexual abuse law, especially pushed by people who worked on child sexual abuse, came about, and I and um, and many organizations, I think, particularly to leave from Chennai, played a very important role in sort of advocating for a special law on child sexual abuse. Some of us, and especially me and my co-director from Huck Center for Child Rights, Bharti Ali, we believe that we did not need a special law on child sexual abuse, a separate special act. We strongly believe that it was the Indian Penal Code that needed to be uh, amended to include, uh, uh, you know, components of child sexual abuse and thus have a comprehensive understanding to bring it into the Indian Penal Code. The 2007 study brought out by the Ministry of Women and Child Development was called a National Study on Child Abuse and its survey covered over 12,000 children from 13 states. One of its most startling findings was this. 
a little over 53% of the children reported having faced one or more forms of sexual abuse. Among them, 52.9% were boys and 47% were girls. The second stream is equally important. Uh, NAS Foundation versus Union of India had been filed mm. uh, to read down the law on uh, to decriminalize 377 mm. and to read it down to take uh, so that it no longer applied to uh, consenting adults, which you have already mentioned in your introduction. Uh, but what did happen in this was that there were some people, including the Delhi Commission for Protection of Child Rights, right. which went to court and said that you cannot at all amend the 377 section because there is no other protection available to boys right. except that one section Correct. in case of sexual assault of boys. And on this, our contention was that you, you cannot pit human rights of women, uh, of children and, ad and consenting adults uh, of, of, you know, who have same-sex preference against one another. Clearly what came out, and that was what we said was, we need a law to protect boys. Yeah. We need a law to protect all gender, children of all gender. Yeah. So... Uh, we, but that cannot be a law that criminalizes another group of people. So that was a second strand that came. And when you put these two together, you have uh, a gender neutral law, yeah. which is which is POXO. One thing I want to definitely also uh, uh, talk to you about and, and see what you have to say about this is the is the reaction of is, is how laws have also changed, particularly in the past 10 years, in the past decade. And we saw that happen after the December 2012 um, attack against the physiotherapist, the 23-year-old physiotherapist, which eventually led to her death. We saw these huge um, uh, demonstrations and protests that took place around the country, and which also therefore um, in some ways hastened, one would say, um, you know, the criminal law amendment uh, coming into place. Um, then, of course, there was the Kathua rape, where, where an eight-year-old eight girl belonging to a small community in Jammu was uh, raped by multiple men, you know, from a different community, and who were, you know, some of whom were in positions of power in the government and, um, uh, which is to say, part of the police. Uh, and that, again, led to a, a, a huge na national outrage. Right, which once again caused uh, certain amendments to the criminal law amendment. So I'm just wondering, in these past 10 years, the kind of engagement that the public has had with the law, which has led and hastened the you know, changes and amendments in the law, is something that I don't think has really, I don't know if it has happened before, because when you are talking about your career of, you know, working with feminist groups as part of a women's movement, sitting together around a table, thinking about how to draft laws, what should a law look like, what should it, you know, I mean, the two processes seem quite different, right? Although both are, in fact, public hmm. uh, uh, so intervention. If, if, you, if you know that the, the first rape law in India was drafted uh, after the Mathura rape case, Which, where yeah, three public spirited for three public-spirited individuals, Dr. Vasudha Thagambar, Dr. Lotika Sarkar, both of whom are now late because mm. they have both died, mm. uh, and Dr. Upendra Bakshi, mm. um, 
the three of them had written a let open letter to the supreme court of india which led to the you know uh, taking up of the mathura uh, the case of mathura's rape and then led to the uh, you know the, the whatever changes we saw in rape at that time uh, but so they, there has always been um, the the juvenile justice law in india was um, changed in india in 1986 because of sheila barse who went to court uh and asked you know for a comprehensive law so there has always there have always been public spirited individuals who have taken a proactive role in directing the the formation of a law in what we have seen in in the past few years is of course unprecedented it is unprecedented because not because i don't think people should not i'm i'm glad that people are waking up i'm glad that there is anger against injustice i'm glad that people are choosing to leave the comfort of their homes and moving out and and holding up the flag for justice uh but what what is worrying me is the kind of justice that they are seeking mm. it is the it is the extremely punitive um you know kind of uh public almost public display of 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 the kind of uh punishment that they they would like if they had their way which is really somewhere very worrying because they it was all about kill the rapist hang the rapist bring the rapist in kill the juvenile change the law um the and it it is not informed by understanding of the law at all as a result of that we had uh, of course we had the poxo act which was anyway being uh, sort of in the process and then the pipeline then we had the criminal law amendment which was done in a very big hurry and uh, but, uh, but we also had what was the most amazing part of uh, sometimes such good things happen when such bad things happen and the good thing that happened was the setting up of the rs verma committee which right. really looked into it, into the whole gamut of things very very comprehensively right and there was but that the tragedy is that much of what they said was not taken into into the amendments that is something that you will have noticed as a pattern that when one when once the reporting around a certain issue starts then there is a sudden spurt of reporting on in along similar lines from across the country or of many many cases that happens and then of course it dies down again and again it, there is this you know sudden spurt of reporting so when the kathua horrible horrible case of this little gabakrawal girl being raped uh what happened raped and murdered and happened then there were several other cases that sprung up around the country you know including um, the unnao case and you know there were several of those that suddenly sprung up and the muzaffarnagar um shelter home case came up and you know it just it just so happened that it built a once again a very very strong uh, voice Mm. uh to protect children against sexual abuse and once again the the public demand was again more punitive hang the rapist kill the rapist kind of demand public outrage has driven amendments to existing laws making them stricter causing death penalty to be introduced as a punitive measure and in one instance creating a special category of what can only be called child adult criminals 
The Criminal Law Amendment Act was passed in 2013, which not only inserted new offences into the Indian Penal Code pertaining to sexual crimes against women, but also made the punishment more stringent. It allowed death penalty in rape cases where the accompanying brutality led to the death of the victim or left the victim in a persistent vegetative state. In 2015, the Juvenile Justice Act was amended, which allowed for some children in the age group of 16 to 18 to be tried as adults if they uh, uh, had committed a particularly heinous offence. And then in 2018, in a new ordinance, the Criminal Law Amendment Act underwent a further amendment to allow for the death penalty for those who rape or gang rape a child below the age of 12. The following year. The POCSO was also amended to introduce the death penalty for a certain type of assault and made the law stricter for possessing, transmitting and producing child pornographic material which we also refer to as child sexual abuse material. It raised the age of consent to 18 years from which 16. in effect no right. yes Right. and for both for boys and girls and in effect criminalizing all sexual behavior between boys and girls right below that age uh, knowing fully well that young people will probably have quote unquote yeah. consensual sexual relationships there had been many many uh, submissions made to the government at that point to uh look at including by the ncpcr at that point to say that you know what you need to do is to have bands like look at age age difference between who you call the perpetrator and the victim i'm wondering whether this idea of abuse itself is something that we need to understand a little bit more right so there is of course the legal element of abuse there is the legal aspect of abuse as you said poxo has various bands of you know what constitutes the various violations right Mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and even in the recent amendment the for instance what comes under a particular kind of abuse so penetrative uh, aggravated sexual assault for instance that has also been expanded just as the punishment for that uh, now includes the possibility but abuse per se right uh, can take on so many different forms and especially because the perpetrators can be you know somebody that you know perpetrator can be somebody who is a stranger but the perpetrator could also be somebody like this particular up engineer uh, who uh, who lured the children who gained the trust of the children right in that sense lived in a community where he could bring the children in tell us a little bit more what do you think about this uh, inakshi pornography uh, children being abused or used for pornography is not a new phenomenon not in india nowhere in, and not in the world either right. um earlier it was sold on maybe cds or you know in in it was and now the access the online part of the abuse so now the recording is also done online right the abuse are being on the other side right. so it's just <clears throat> the forms of abuse as times change the forms of abuse are changing the methods are changing the perpetrators are be- becoming more and more ha- hate to use the word but innovative i do, in in the absence of any other way to describe it mm. and children are actually becoming more vulnerable because parents mm. are uh, have no clue mm. now if some uncle in your neighborhood is calling the child for a for a sweet in a small town who is to believe that it is to do with 
that he has malefied intentions. Mm. You know, he's just an old man who's next door, not old man or young man or a middle-aged man, but you know, who loves children and who's fun. And and there are many uh, children have always grown up with neighborhood neighbors who have yeah. pampered them and loved them, and you know. A recent study by the U.S. National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, that is the NCMEC, and our National Crime Records Bureau, or the NCRB, found that more than 25,000 pieces of alleged child sexual abuse content had been uploaded to social media platforms in India in five months till January 2020. Now, last year, the NCRB actually entered into a memorandum of understanding with NCMEC in order to receive cyber tip-line reports of child pornography uploads. The Central Bureau of Investigation launched a special cell to tackle these cases as well. And some states like Maharashtra began to act on the tip-offs almost immediately. It was this CBI cell that apprehended the junior engineer. Do you think that maybe the way we're thinking about abuse also has to sort of uh, has to be a bit more nuanced. It has to be, we have to bring in a bit more understanding of how abuse works. Because, because from what, what is happening in what, from what we, whatever little we know about this particular case and what we definitely do know about a lot of predominant uh, CSA cases is that so much of the abuse actually happens by uh, people whom the child knows and trusts who is part of uh, or who is able to bring the child into the inner circle or who is already in the inner circle of a child. So then abuse is not just too, isn't this the case? Oh, it's, 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 it's uh, it, abuse, sexual abuse is a breach of trust. Yeah. yeah. It's the first and I mean, the it's a series of breaches and for first and foremost amongst them is the breach of trust then there is the breach of the body and the individual you know the bodily integrity of the person then there is the emotional breach of the emotional leave uh, emotional uh, well-being leaving very long-term consequences so there is it's a series of breaches and but the first as you said is the breach of trust because here is a man who you trust who the family trusts, who the child trusts, who thinks it's all, you know, this is my friend, my protector, my, you know, my neighborhood uncle who really loves me, who is looking and going to, who, who cares about me, only to find that uh, this man is actually violating. And for a very long time, the child perhaps doesn't even know that he or she is being violated. So what you're actually then saying is that Perhaps the law cannot be the only thing that we have to turn to when it comes to, um, you know, dealing with situations like this. It cannot just be the law or, or, or tightening the law or increasing the punitive elements of the, in, within the law that can actually prevent something like this, right? There has to be this larger conversation with the child about what constitutes bodily integrity what constitutes trust and more importantly when they feel that their trust is being eroded to be able to give a language to the child to talk about the erosion of that trust just introducing criminal elements into it and penalizing and criminalizing it there is of course there is violence and of course there's exploitation which needs to be addressed as this but punit- 
Yeah. yeah, but the punitive law is not the only solution. It's worth. The, so it's worth, yes. So the conversation of what constitutes trust, I think what constitutes trust online is something that we need to sort of move the frontier. We need to move that bar now, right? How do we trust online? What do we trust online? And also in terms of the, the importance of privacy online, right? So while you may have certain ideas of what constitutes privacy with your mother, right? You may not have a similar idea of that kind of privacy with somebody that you have met online or a friend who is online, right? Because those are very, there are, those are much more difficult lines to draw, uh, you know, because there is no physical space there to draw it. in. So there is that. But then I'm also thinking about the children who were, you know, uh, lured with trust using mobile phones, as it turns out, by this particular, uh, you know, junior engineer in UP, who would give them a mobile phone so that they could come to his house and they would be able to play video games in his house, right? And this has been reported in news channels, including our own. Um, uh, uh, and and so the therefore the acts the lure of the access. To, to the internet, the lure of the access to the digital life is not something that we can, you know, count them out. It is going to be there. It is going to exist. And it is something that I'm pretty sure will have to be a right <laughs> of access, right? At some point in time, if nothing but the pandemic has brought us, as you very correctly pointed out. What, according to you, then this is the last question in Akshi, I'm just, you know, trying to sum this up. So if we were to push this forward and we were to say, okay, there are, there are multiple conversations that need to happen. But what is the underlying basis, you think, of a conversation that could perhaps get people to think less about a law? But other than that, we're living in a change scenario. What is the underlying thing that, according to you, we should be thinking about and talking about and pushing our conversations towards? The only way to prevent it is to protect, is not to allow them to do what they wish to do. Good thing, there's a very, very good thing that has happened. Because of these conversations, the silence has been broken. If you have any questions, do reach out to me at the Red Dhamini on Twitter. You can also leave your feedback at HD Smartcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Bye. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.